Very good, very good. Thank you, Pastor Steve. That's awesome. Kia ora Nice to see you all today. And Shane, thank you once again for inviting me to come up and share the word today. It's a real privilege to be here and to see you, which is great. Well, what we're going to do today, like we did last week, is we're going to take communion at the end, uh, or as it is sometimes more traditionally called, we're going to come around the table of the Lord. And I'm going to talk more about this idea of the table a little bit later. But communion is what is called an ordinance of the church, an ordinance of the church. What that means, it literally means an authoritative order, an authoritative order. It's one of a handful of practices that Jesus did that he commanded his church to do in perpetuity. And so we're going to do that this morning. And these ordinances, right, they're meant to be powerful, They're meant to be life-impacting. Baptism is one of the ordinances, along with communion. Now, I don't know about your baptism, but let me tell you about my baptism. My baptism, as well as being dunked under the water, I was 22 years old. I was not that long out of getting saved in a gas station. Uh, So as well as being dunked under the water, publicly identifying with Jesus' death and then his resurrection, coming up to new life as a believer, Uh, As part of that, I was prayed for, and my pastor prophesied over me, and I was astonished to see those things that he spoke over my life roll out over the next few years. Also at my baptism, I was given a study Bible from a friend, and that began to open the word up to me in an incredible way, and I learned so much through the gift of that study Bible over the years following. Same day on my baptism, I met a guy outside the church who turned out to be demon-possessed, and uh, he had some problems. Well, he actually got saved that day, which was amazing, and then he didn't want to go back to his flat because he said that there were evil spirits there, so he came and stayed in our flat. In fact, he stayed in my bedroom. He slept in my bed. I slept on the floor, and as it turned out, he brought a few of his old friends with him. So, uh, look, that was... That was something else. I learned about the demonic uh, on that day and in the few days following. I learned about the power of God. And, and that all happened on the day I was baptized. Honestly, for me, uh, you know, it, it was like baptism was like an entrance into a whole new life. Let me say to you, if you haven't been baptized, you want to get onto it. Because it is an entrance into a whole new life. Like there's something powerful that happens when we're baptized, and that's why Jesus says, go and get baptized. He also says to us to take communion, to share in in, in a meal in his body and his blood and remembrance and proclamation of what he's done, and we're going to look at more of that later, right? Because if he said it, there's got to be something powerful in it, right? And sometimes I think we come to communion and we come to these things and we eat and drink and it kind of goes by us. But look, I want you to understand that all of these things are meant to be impacting and powerful. And if it's not that for us, maybe it's time to refresh ourselves again on what God's intention was, what the Word of God actually says. So let's get started today. Now, hands up if you know what the haka is. You want to know what the haka is? That the All Blacks do at the start of... Everyone knows what the haka is? Hopefully we all know what the haka is. It looks like three of us do, but I'm going to assume that we all know what the haka is. I heard the story of a lady who was visiting from overseas, and she went to a cultural performance, and she saw the haka done right in front of her, because she was on the front row. She saw the haka done in front of her for the very first time, and as the haka went on, she became more and more nervous. Finally, she turned to the person next to her and whispered, what are they saying? 
And the person said, well, it's, it's kind of like a welcome. Ah, oh, she said, that's great. I was afraid they were saying grace. Now, you guys know what the hark is like, right? The stare down, the stamping, the yelling, the fist in the ground. Sometimes it's the thumb across the throat. I mean, what is it that the All Blacks are doing when they do that prior to the kickoff of a match? I tell you what it is. It's a challenge. More than that, it's a proclamation. The haka is a proclamation that says to an enemy, which with regards to New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks, the enemy is usually Australia or South Africa. Now, what it says is, you are in trouble. Now, what's that got to do with Psalm 23? A whole lot more than maybe we might realize. Last week, Amy Walker talked a bit about fear. She was reading from Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, as it says in the psalm, I will fear no evil. Um, but you know what? Fear is a part of life. Uh, and it's certainly a part of life uh, in this nation, in this generation, in the season that we are in. I, I was doing a bit of study just this week on crime in, in our nation, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and in Auckland uh, in particular. In 1990, between 1990 and 2017, crime and murder in New Zealand actually decreased slightly. 27 years in crime decreased. Then in 2018, it exploded and more than doubled in one year. 2019, it increased again, almost double, not quite. And it has continued to increase. According to the statistics, crime in Auckland in just the last 18 months has increased by 20%. In one survey, I found it said that of the people surveyed in our city here, that nearly a third of people don't feel safe to walk alone in the daytime anymore, and two-thirds of people don't feel safe to walk alone in the night. There's a lot of fear out there. People are concerned and fearful, not just about that, but about the future, about the economy, about house prices, about their kids in this gender and sexuality confused generation. They're fearful about retirement, about getting older. There's a feeling there is a whole lot going on against us. So the question, right, is what do we do about that as Christians? Where do we stand in that? How do we deal with our fear? And what's God's answer to that? Let's go to Psalm 23 right now. I'm going to pick it up in verse 1 and read it through to the verse that we are talking about today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And here we go for today's verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I find this a fascinating statement that David makes. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, we know that life can be challenging and big and tiring, but with God, it can be incredible and fulfilling and deeply satisfying. And we can walk confidently, right? 
We can walk confidently knowing that God is leading us and he's with us in difficult seasons. As Psalm, I think Psalm 23 so speaks to our lives, what we actually experience. It starts with the idea that we are not alone in this life, that God is with us and that he is with us in a personal and purposeful way. He is with us like a shepherd is with his sheep. That's incredibly helpful for us to dwell on. He is with us. He provides for us. He watches over us and leads us, if we will follow, to places and times of rest and restoration. He guides us. He is present with us in fearful times and places. And then we're told, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now that's an intriguing picture to me. So first, I want us to take a moment to consider the word prepares. He prepares. It says God prepares something important for us in the presence of everything that stands against us. God is prepared. God knew what was ahead and he knew what we would need. And so he was, somehow he went ahead of us and he has prepared what we would need for when we arrived. God was prepared for what was in David's way. Can I say to you today, God is prepared for what is in your way. That's the key message today. There's nothing else you take out of this. I want you to walk away knowing God is prepared. For whatever comes your way, God is prepared. The idea that God has prepared a table for us speaks both of his foresight and his care, the great preacher Spurgeon said. Now, I want us to look at this idea in other places, this idea that God has gone before us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, Paul writes, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. How? See, God is prepared. He's already prepared a way out of whatever temptation the devil brings your way as long as you're willing to take it and follow him. The point is this. God is not taken by surprise by what takes us by surprise. No, God is prepared. We see this with Jesus as well. Before the final battle, the great battle, his crucifixion. Let me read it to you from Mark 14. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover Verse 13, and so he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Listen to this. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. The disciples are like, Lord, where do, where do we need to go so that we can get prepared for you for Passover? And Jesus says, God has already prepared Passover for me and for us. God had by the Holy Spirit spoken to or nudged 
one of his followers, someone who loved him, a guy who owned his own home, uh, to get prepared for Passover, but not for himself, because he was going to have guests, guests who he was unaware of who they were at this point, but God was saying, I want you to get prepared. You're going to have guests this Passover, important guests. He didn't know who. He, but, but, but the Lord was going to show him. And then these two guys turn up following one of his servants who'd gone to get some water. And they say, the teacher, Jesus, is asking where the guest room is for us all to eat the Passover meal. And guess what? It was ready. It was already ready. It was prepared with everything they would need. Water, food, wine, places to sit, a table, all set, all prepared in advance. See, Jesus had a lot ahead, Right? And he would literally have an enemy in the same room with him, Judas, as well as a spiritual enemy in the unseen, planning his complete destruction. And so God went ahead and prepared a pause, prepared a time with dear friends, prepared a feed, prepared a table. Quite amazing. Quite amazing. God is prepared. So firstly, God is prepared. He's prepared a table. And, and that's the second part I want to look at here. What, what does it mean that he has prepared a table? You see, God's preparation is about provision, but it is also a proclamation because the table was prepared in the presence of enemies. Let me explain. I want you to imagine for a moment a battle scene. A battle scene, two great armies coming, and you happen to be in the front of one of those armies, and, and the battle lines are drawn, you know, kind of first century style, and the armies out there, hundreds, probably thousands of them, all with weapons and armor, all about to come and bring destruction on you. They are ready to attack, and then suddenly, out of the corner of your eye, as you are, as you're there, nervous, un unsure if you're going to make it through this, suddenly you see a soldier coming out, and he's got a white cloth over his arm, and he's carrying a table, which is covered in white linen, and he, he walks right out in front of you, and he, and he puts the, the table down, and then another one brings a chair and places the chair down. Everything comes to a halt. What's going on here? This is bizarre what is happening here. Then comes someone carrying a vase, and then comes the silver cutlery, and then one after another they come out bringing steaming dishes of meat and vegetables, and you are invited to sit down. Now the enemy are all completely silent now. They, they, they can't believe what they're seeing. They are staring, wondering what is going on. And then you get it. God is sending a message. And as you trust him and you sit, the proclamation is being made. You put down your weapons. You smile. One of the soldiers pulls the seat out for you. You take a seat and he slides it in behind you. Another one comes and drapes a napkin across your lap. The drinks are cold. The slow-cooked beef is falling off the bone. The potatoes are scalloped. The vegetables are crisp. And the enemy is gobsmacked. What does it mean? This is a statement. This is a proclamation that says, we are not worried about you, enemy. In fact... We're not worried at all. In fact, we are so not worried that we're going to have dinner now. And you fellows can just wait. 
We'll get to you when we are good and ready. Now, if you're an enemy looking at this unfold in front of you, it either means that these people are actually completely insane, or it means there's something going on that you don't know and you are in deep trouble. It's sending a message. It's a proclamation. Do you know that taking a Sabbath is a proclamation? It's saying, no, I'm not going to be working seven days. I so trust God that I will step into what he has gone ahead and provided for me, prepared for me, this idea of, of a Sabbath. And we're going, to, we're going to do this. We're going to take this day of rest. We're going to enjoy our family. We're going to nap, maybe. We're going to relax. And God has prepared it so that as we honor him and we do that, that we will do better with a day of rest than our enemies will do without one. So you can go and knock yourself out, but for me in my house, we're going to rest. It's a proclamation as much as it is a provision. I remember many years ago when I was a young senior pastor, we had an elders meeting, uh, and my assistant pastor had just come on the elders uh, eldership as well. And it was one of our very first meetings, and we had a whole lot to do. And in the midst of the meeting, I realized, man, we're not going to get all this stuff done. And so I suggested that we meet on the following Saturday as an eldership to work through all of these issues and problems. And as I looked around the group, everyone kind of reluctantly went, yeah, okay, yeah, I can do, I can do that. And then I get to this friend of mine, my assistant pastor, and I saw him kind of take a breath. And then he said, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, but Saturday is my Sabbath. He says, I'll be spending that with my family, so I will not be able to come in. What was he saying? He was saying, God has prepared a table for me, a day of rest, and I will be taking it, and I will get onto that work next week. Do you know what I felt? I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed because that's what I should have said. That's exactly what I should have done. Because the Lord has provided a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And sometimes my enemies aren't people. Sometimes my enemies is busyness. Sometimes my enemy is stress. Sometimes my enemy is guilt. But I didn't trust God enough to take it. And so we didn't meet that Saturday. And yet everything we needed to get accomplished got done. God was prepared. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you eat this bread and drink, oh, sorry, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, here it is, proclaim. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God had prepared a table for Jesus in the presence of his enemy. On the eve of what the enemy thought was going to be his greatest victory. Because the next day Jesus was going to be falsely accused and tried and crucified. But Jesus wasn't running around trying to have last-minute meetings. He wasn't running around trying to have final tearful goodbyes. He wasn't making sure the disciples knew the plan for the church, spending every second getting his final affairs together, he was grabbing a last-minute snack because he wasn't going to eat again after this meal. 
No, it had all been prepared for him. Time, plenty of food and drink, and in the presence of his enemies. And the devil should have realized it was a proclamation that he was in deep trouble, and God was already prepared for anything that the devil might throw at him. And Jesus was going to overcome because death couldn't handle him and the grave could not hold him back. Satan couldn't stop him. Of course God was prepared. David knew it. Jesus knew it. Paul knew it. That when things appear to be at their worst, beyond hope, God is not worried. He is prepared. And when God says, trust me, stop, sit, and eat, even in the presence of your enemies, it is a proclamation. And there it is. The last supper, the communion meal was a proclamation. And now for us, Taking communion in remembrance of that meal is also a proclamation of God's great preparedness in our lives. I'm going to say to you that in this world, with all of the issues that you are facing, Psalm 23 reminds us that God is prepared. He has gone before you. He is well aware of your challenges and the issues and the enemy and what is coming against you, and He is prepared. Not only is he prepared, but he has also prepared in the ordinances a table for you to come around. He's prepared provision. He's prepared a place of peace for you. And when we pause in faith around this table, around communion, it is a proclamation that God is not worried and neither should we be. So I'm going to ask our team to hand out the elements of communion now. Hopefully you guys are familiar with this. It's a little kind of thin uh, top you pull off to get to the little bit of wafer, and then you pull the next layer off to get to the juice. But let's, let's hand these elements of communion around now because we are going to do this in just a moment. Thanks, baby. If we get the team to come up on stage as well, the worship team, that would be great. Because you see, today here in this great city of Auckland, despite all the indicators that things are not going particularly well, we are going to proclaim something, ladies and gentlemen. We're not going to proclaim it in words. We're not going to proclaim it to each other. But by pausing this morning to eat and drink around God's table, this table that he has prepared for us 2,000 years ago, we are going to proclaim something to God's enemies and ours. We're going to proclaim that God is prepared that God has a plan and that we trust him completely. And as we eat and drink these emblems representing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, listen, we proclaim his death, his atoning death, his chain-breaking, powerful death. We also proclaim his atoning, uh, his resurrection. We proclaim what he did through that for us, the provision of healing, the removal of a guilty conscience. And if we proclaim his death, that means we also proclaim his life, right? Because he can't have died unless he lived his sinless, perfect, amazing life. And if he died, that means that he lived. And if he lived, that means we also proclaim his miracle birth. 
And if we proclaim his miracle birth, that means we proclaim his appearing as the fulfillment of prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, which means we also proclaim his divine purpose as savior, which means we also proclaim his divine origin as God, the son of God, part of the Trinity, giver of the Holy Spirit and Lord of all, which means we also proclaim that he was alive, that he is alive, and that he will be alive, resurrected, sitting at the right hand of the throne of his father, and watching over us as our shepherd every night and every day. And that means that we proclaim that he is prepared for whatever the enemy has going on today, and that on, at some point in the future, Jesus is coming back, and that means that the enemy is in trouble. Amen? God is here. And so, Lord, you anoint our heads with oil and our cups overflow because you are prepared. Come on, church, hold these elements in our hands just for a moment. Let's pray, and then we're going to eat and drink together. Jesus, we proclaim today in faith that, Lord, you are prepared. And, God, that if you're not worried, we're not worried either, that you have a plan and we trust you completely. And we thank you, God, for this table that you've prepared for us, for us to regularly come around and pause and recenter ourselves on the God who is prepared and the proclamation that it is to the enemy and all that stands against us. And so, Lord, today, in the face of an even uncertain future, in defiance of the circumstances and in the presence of our enemies, we will eat and drink of this table that you prepared in advance for us. We declare your victory in our lives, your blessing on our heads, your provision that our cup will overflow. God, in this place, in this city, in this nation, and in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Church, let's eat and drink together as the band just come and just start to play this song for us.